Wonderful blessing. Today was the first day of use of that kitchen, and so what a what a blessing. And um, I, I want to encourage you the the Spanish ministry. Just they put in hours in that uh, kitchen, in preparing the kitchen, and uh, so appreciate uh, appreciate all they did just in coordinating that. And if you'll be sure and let Brother Gilberto know, uh, what a what a blessing. Brother Gilberto took so much time uh, and effort uh, just to make that happen and uh, put that together and just a real blessing. And our plan is, is um, uh, as the kitchen is complete, we'll come on in and, and put tile throughout that, um, that old facility, that back fellowship hall, and uh, we'll get all of that coordinated, come back into the old auditorium, we'll trim that up and just uh, remodel that whole thing and make all of that look nice. And uh, that's kind of the, uh, the goal that uh, will be taking place. And so you uh, uh, just appreciate uh, all, of, all of that happening and uh, such a blessing to have that uh, even here today uh, available uh, there with that. Uh, by the way, Brother Gilberto is going to be preaching here for the English ministry coming up in uh, about a month. And uh, he will be a real blessing to you. So appreciate him and the, and the job there. So he'll be coming in here preaching for us. Mark chapter 8. We're going to begin here at verse number 27. Mark chapter 8 and verse number 27. If you'll follow along with me here tonight. And it reads, And Jesus went out and his disciples into the towns of Caesarea Philippi. And by the way, he asked his disciples, saying unto them, Whom do men say that I am? And they answered John the Baptist, but some say Elias, and others one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Peter answereth, and saith unto him, Thou art the Christ. And he charged them that they should tell no man of him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, and be rejected of the elders, and of the chief priests, and scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. And he spake that saying openly, and Peter took him and began to rebuke him. Can you imagine this? Here's Peter, this bold uh, servant, taking Jesus, rebuking Jesus. But when he, had heard, uh, when he had turned about and looked on his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. We're going to look tonight at the way of the cross, and we're going to see how the Lord's cross leads us to our cross, and uh, this way of the cross so very important. And there are some principles of discipleship tonight that we're going to examine that are very crucial if we're to be successful in our walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you'll join me, let's go to the Lord in prayer tonight and again pray for your heart and pray for God's way in this service. And as always, we need to hear from heaven tonight. Father, thank you. And uh, Lord, just really humbled and grateful for what you are doing at Valley Bible Baptist. Thank you, Lord, for the sweet fellowship and 
and just the sweet folks that you've given here. Lord, I, I pray here tonight as we again open your word that you'd be our teacher. We understand every time we come together, Lord, we want it to be for you, for your glory. We want to hear from heaven. We want you to be our teacher. And Lord, we, we know that your word never returns void. So Lord, help us to be faithful to your word. Lord, give us something tonight that will be life-changing, life-altering, uh, of eternal significance, we pray in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated uh, this evening. I want you as you're seated to uh, look back and just uh, gaining context. I always love to get the context of the scripture. Uh, you'll notice in verse number 27 here, the word of God says, Jesus went out and his disciples into the towns of Caesarea Philippi. So now he is taking the disciples away from the Sea of Galilee into the towns of Caesarea Philippi, as we read here. And this was an area that is north of the Sea of Galilee. It's at the foot of Mount Hermon. And uh, we had the privilege back in 2018, uh, we went near this uh, location. Uh, it's in the uh, locale near modern-day Lebanon and uh, would be in that vicinity, northern part of Israel. And it seems there, as Jesus takes his disciples away to this location, some very important teachings that Jesus needed to instill upon his disciples. And so you kind of get the picture, and you remember the many times that Jesus has sought to get alone with the disciples, but the crowds would throng him. And we find here that Jesus is going to a new location. They leave Galilee, constantly pressure a people. And they made their way into new territory. And here Jesus begins to teach them. And he's constantly teaching. And uh, wouldn't that be wonderful to have been a part of that ministry? In three and a half years, these disciples had that privilege uh, of the Lord constantly teaching him. And one of the things that is so evident in the teaching of Jesus Christ is his patience in dealing with people. Uh, you'll notice that as Jesus teaches the people, he did not expect them. And it's, it's kind of like uh, we experienced uh, when we went to Israel. It was like drinking from a fire hose. There was so much that came at us all at once. And uh, you couldn't possibly take it all in. And that's kind of what it was like to be in the teaching and preaching ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. There was just so much material, so much information as he prepared these disciples for this worldwide ministry that would come uh, their direction. And they needed to be prepared for this. And so three principles that he gives to them as they go apart to Caesarea Philippi. Now, uh, it's really a blessing. Uh, we were this morning in the book of Revelation. Uh, but here as we look tonight, it's kind of interesting how, and I believe the Lord puts this together, just kind of dovetails everything together. Uh, first of all, this principle of who Jesus is, we looked at that this morning, but look at verse number 27. In verse 27, and Jesus went out and his disciples into the towns of Caesarea Philippi, and by the way, he asked his disciples, saying unto them, who do men say that I am? Now that's a very extremely important question and the answer that you come to with that question is of eternal significance and this is a question that really needs to be asked in our day who do men say that I am now the disciples responded verse number 28 they answered John the Baptist now we know this was uh, like King Herod 
And Herod, hearing of the miracles of the Lord Jesus Christ, assumed that John the Baptist was come back to life again from the dead. It was Herod that beheaded John the Baptist. And I think his conscience drew him to that conclusion. Uh, Jesus surely is the resurrected John the Baptist. Uh, he mentions here, some say, Elias. This is Elijah of the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, Elijah was a miracle worker. And we read of all the miracles performed by Elijah, and what a great prophet, what a great man of God. Remember, it was Elijah that prayed that it would not rain, and it did not rain for the space of three and a half years, and then he called upon the Lord, and, and God sent a flood upon the land of Israel. And Elijah, many miracles in his lifetime. Jesus worked miracles. And so, who is Jesus? Uh, the people around would say, maybe this is Elijah. Remember, Elijah... Uh, never died. He was taken up in a whirlwind. He was taken up in a chariot into the presence of the Lord and uh, really a kind of another type of the rapture as Elijah was taken out of this world into the presence of God without uh, death there at that point. And uh, only uh, two men in the Bible we read about and that was Elijah and then Enoch of the Old Testament. And so as the miracles of Jesus are taking place, uh, the uh, multitudes would look upon this and perhaps this is Elijah uh, come back to his people. Uh, here And some believe that Jesus was perhaps one of the prophets. He was bold in his teaching. He was bold in his preaching. He was like the prophet, like Jeremiah. And we've been teaching through Jeremiah uh, in the, uh, in the uh, adult Sunday school class. And here, here's Jeremiah boldly calling his people to repentance. And Jesus uh, did the same. He preached repentance and the gospel and he was bold and authoritative in that teaching and preaching. And so perhaps this is one of the prophets, maybe Isaiah, maybe Jeremiah, uh, that has returned and come to give us a message from God. Now the world has some weird ideas about Jesus. Uh, I encourage you, it's a good question to ask people. Uh, who do you believe that Jesus is? You're going to get a lot of answers that are varied. I've had people deny the existence of Jesus. Say, well, Jesus really did not exist. I've had people tell me that. He was just a figment of man's imagination. Uh, they were willing to believe in Santa Claus, but not in Jesus. And it's kind of amazing. People will believe what they want to sometimes, and they'll do whatever they have to do to deny uh, their accountability to God. But I've had people tell me, that Jesus never existed. Uh, there are some that teach that Jesus was just a great man. Uh, some even teach that he was a prophet, that he was a teacher. But he's really no different than other great men of the past. I was talking to a Sikh man right here in the valley, and uh, he came by one day, and uh, we were talking some business things. And, and so I had the opportunity in the office to witness to this man and asked him the question, who is Jesus? And he said, well, he's one of the great prophets, and he gave me a lot of different names of prophets and different people. And so in his eyes, Jesus was a mere man. He was a great man. He did not deny uh, that Jesus wasn't a great man, but he said he's a great man, but no different than the prophets. And he gave the listing of a lot of different prophets of his day. Much of the world denies the deity of Jesus Christ. Now, we mentioned this morning that's the spirit of of Antichrist. Who is Jesus? That question is very important. Do you realize all of our cults today deny the deity of Jesus Christ? 
the Jehovah's Witnesses, the Mormons. They denied the deity of Jesus Christ. Uh, the Buddhists, the Hindus, the Muslims, the Sikhs that I mentioned, they deny the deity of Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us as we come to the end time, that spirit of Antichrist is going to be at work. And, and even I'm, I'm discovering some of the, uh, the old uh, Christian denominations as such that at one time believed firmly in the deity of Jesus Christ or even today beginning to deny the deity of Jesus Christ. And it's amazing and astounding to see the direction and the apostasy of our day and the direction of multitudes. See, here, here's the fact tonight. If Jesus is not God, which He is, then He's no different than any other religious leader. Uh, the Bible says of Jesus that He is the only begotten Son of God. He's the only Messiah. He's the only one that God became flesh. He's the only one out of all the history of humanity that is different, that is separated. By the way, He's the only one that came back from the dead. He's the only one that had power over death. And I've asked that to an atheist. What do you say about the resurrection of Christ? This atheist believed that Jesus was a person, but he denied the Lord and he denied Jesus Christ and his deity. And we talked about the resurrection and it was really interesting to see the direction of that as he, uh, we spoke about the resurrection. See, Jesus is different. He's God become man. Much of the world denies this and Satan knows the importance of this question that Jesus asked to the disciples. Who do men say that I am? Now look at verse number 29. Then Jesus brought it right down to their hearts. He saith unto them, but whom say ye that I am? Peter responded very wisely. He said, thou art the Christ. If we were to go back to Matthew chapter 16, a parallel passage, Matthew adds this statement, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, the disciples understood that Jesus is the promised Messiah. And by now, they, they recognized Him. They saw that He was different. They knew that He is the one, that He is the hope of Israel. He's the one that the prophets foretold about. Now the people said one of the prophets, but the disciples knew, no, this is the man that the prophets told about. This is the one that the prophets said would come into the world. And they understood, as you read through this in the teaching, they understood his deity. They understood that Jesus is God, that Jesus is Emmanuel, that he was that child that was born unto us, as his name would be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. They understood this is God manifest in flesh. Uh, they'd witnessed the miracles of Jesus healing the sick, raising the dead, casting out demons, calming the sea, feeding the multitudes. His miracles testified of Him. And they heard His teachings, and His teachings were not as a normal man. He taught as one that had authority. He taught as one that had power, and He was different because He was God and is God. And in Matthew chapter 16, where Jesus or Peter responded, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, uh, Jesus looked at Peter and said, Peter, upon this rock I will build my church. He said, Thou art Peter, little rock, 
And upon this rock, this big rock, this testimony, me, I will build my church. See, the church was not built upon Peter. The church was built upon the Lord Jesus Christ, that rock. And it was built upon that testimony of who Jesus is, God. How do you respond to that question? It's very important. Who is Jesus? Your response is of eternal significance. See, those who know Jesus, know Him personally, know who He is. I don't believe that somebody who is truly born again can deny the deity of Jesus Christ. See, somebody who's born again knows Jesus Christ. Somebody who's born again knows in the depths of their heart that Jesus is more than a man. They know that Jesus set them free, that only God could forgive of our sin. And only God could say, thy sins be forgiven thee. Only God could open the door into his presence. Our sin is against the holy God. And only God can forgive that sin. And so we know Jesus to be Savior. We know Jesus to be Messiah. We know him to be Lord. We know him to be King. We know him to be God. And if somebody can deny that in the depths of their heart, they really don't know him. Now, I'm hearing of many that used to attend Bible-believing, Bible-preaching churches. But they've rejected the truth. Now, this morning we... We looked at a, a vision of Jesus, a vision of who He is. And for us to be successful, we've got to know who He is. And not only do we need to know who He is, we need to know Him. And it's in knowing Him that we really know who He is. It's in knowing that truth, that truth. First John is so clear upon that. Uh, the anointing which you have received of Him, that's the Holy Spirit of God. And when we have been born again, we have the Spirit of God. We've been sealed by the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God teaches us that truth of the deity of Jesus Christ. And so the disciples had to answer this question. It is an important question. Who is Jesus? Who Jesus is? Now, let's move on. Mark chapter 8. There's another principle that if they were to see, succeed, they had to learn. And the Lord was very patient in teaching this. Not only do we need to know and understand who Jesus is, but we need to understand and know what Jesus did. And so notice in verse 31, he began to teach them. And so this is interesting. They've walked with Jesus for some time, and now we're getting closer to the end of the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're getting closer to the cross. And so now he began to teach them. And notice what he began to teach. They were looking for a conquering king. They were looking for one that would destroy Rome and the enemies of Israel. They were looking for one that would deliver Israel out of the hands of that Roman Empire. But now Jesus came the first time as a suffering servant. And he shares this thought with them. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things. And be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. Now we know and we understand that Jesus was the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And we know and we understand that when Jesus was born, He was laid in a manger. He was wrapped in swaddling clothes. Those were grave clothes. And we believe and we understand and we know looking back with hindsight that Jesus Christ was born to die. 
And we know and understand that that death, uh, the shedding of blood, was necessary for the remission of our sins. We understand that he must die. But this was new to the disciples. Uh, They were expecting a conquering king. They were expecting the lion. And that was prophesied in the Old Testament. Uh, They did not understand the suffering servant that would come. And so Jesus is teaching them about that part of his ministry. And in this first coming of Jesus, he would be that suffering servant. He would be the Isaiah 53, the lamb that would be slain, the one that would take upon himself the sin of the world, the one that would take our transgressions and by his stripes we would be healed. He would be the one that would be that suffering servant of Isaiah 53. And so Jesus had to teach the disciples. But in verse 31, he made the statement, not only would he die, would he be killed, but after three days he would rise again, proving himself to be God with power by the resurrection from the dead, uh, giving him victory over death, conquering the enemy on our behalf. And through his death and his resurrection, the very means of our salvation. It was so different for them to receive. And so in verse 32, uh, as he spoke that, he spake that saying openly, and Peter took him and began to rebuke him. Now you think about this, the Lord's ways are not man's ways. And sometimes the Lord has some things in his plans that we don't like. And isn't it amazing, Peter began to rebuke him, but how often we in our heart rebuke the Lord when we don't understand what he's doing. They had their own thoughts, and their thoughts were contrary to God's ways. So often that's the case with us. As Christ's disciples, we understand the way of the cross. Christ's death was necessary. Without it, we could not be saved. Our sin had to be paid for. And the wages of sin is death. Without a blood sacrifice, no salvation. And without a blood sacrifice, no resurrection. And without a blood sacrifice, no victory. So that's the message that we preach. We preach the death, the burial, the resurrection of Christ. We'll be baptizing tonight, giving testimony to that very gospel that Jesus died for our sins, that he was buried, but he rose again. That's the message that must penetrate our hearts and that we give out to a lost and dying world. And if we are to be Christ's disciples, not only must we understand who he is, but we must understand what he did and that must penetrate our hearts. Now, here's the problem. See, the world wants a religion where Jesus is not God because it allows them to be their own God. And the world wants a religion without the cross because it allows man to gain his own salvation. And that's the religion of Cain. The cross teaches us that man is sinful, that we're hopeless, that we're helpless. The cross teaches that God must judge sin. The cross teaches that God is not only a God of wrath or a God of love, but He's a God of wrath. The cross teaches that on Jesus Christ the wages of sin was placed, that on Jesus Christ the sin of the world was placed, and on Jesus Christ the wrath of the Father was poured out. God's wrath is real. So Satan offers that religion at the cross. It's a religion of good works. And after Peter rebuked the Lord, the Lord rebuked Peter, verse 33. 
But when he had turned about and looked on his disciples, he rebuked Peter. I think it's interesting. Peter took him and began to rebuke him. It's as if Peter pulled him aside. But here the Lord turns and looks at all of the apostles because it's evident probably many of them thinking the same thing. He looked on his disciples. He rebuked Peter saying, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. See, we must be careful to preach the truth, to teach the truth. And the truth teaches man is sinful. See, man's not good by nature. Man's sinful by nature. Man's sinful to the very core. Man is lost by his sinful nature. Man is condemned to hell. He's dead in trespasses and sins. Man cannot save himself, but Jesus took our place. So we've got to be careful to desire God's way, not our own way. I'd like to tell you here tonight that America is going to experience great revival. I'd like to tell you here tonight that America is going to be restored. I would love that. But honestly, that may not be the case. See, I don't know what God's way and plans are. I know this, that my God's in control. And I know that no matter what takes place, I'm on the winning side. And my God is the King of kings and the Lord. And a disciple must understand this and be willing for the cross and be willing for God's way. To be His disciple, we must know who Jesus is. To be His disciple, we must understand what Jesus did. And then we move on to be his disciple. We must be willing to do what he expects, to understand what he expects of us. See, Jesus went from teaching about his cross to teaching about our cross. The cross of a disciple. In verse 34, And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, He said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. If you're going to follow me, if you're going to be my disciple, this is what it will cost you. We understand in comparing this to the gospel of Luke, this is not the plan of salvation. Salvation is free tonight. But this is the cost of discipleship. The terms of discipleship involve a cross. That cross speaks of of self-denial. See, our sin nature, and what a a message yesterday, Brother Ho, in the the meeting. uh, The self-selfishness of man. The cross involves self-denial. Our sin nature is selfish. We're self-centered. That's our nature. Uh, Satan in Isaiah chapter 14 said, I will be as God. And, And that's what man wants to be. We want to be on the throne. We want to be in control of our lives. We want to do it our way. This isn't Burger King. It doesn't come our way. See, it it must come God's way. And the cross speaks of self-denial, dying to self. And dying to self is painful. If we look at the Lord Jesus Christ, He died to Himself. He came into this world to serve. Christ died and lived for His Father's glory. 
He lived for our salvation and he died for our salvation. And that's the way of the cross. And Jesus said, if you're going to be my disciple, you've got to take up your cross. And this is what Paul said. Paul said, I die daily. What Paul is saying, I'm crucified with Christ. See, the way of the cross is self-denial. The way of the cross is sacrifice. Jesus came to give his life, our sacrifice. Romans 12, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. See, we, we cannot be his disciples unless we are willing to give ourselves to him. A living sacrifice. The cross speaks of that sacrifice. It speaks of self-denial. And then the cross speaks of submission, surrender to him. It's like the Lord Jesus Christ in the Garden of the Gethsemane. Not my will, but thine be done. What Jesus is expressing is, Lord, I've died to my will. I'm submitted to your will. I want your will, not my will, to be done. And that's the message of the cross. Not my will, but thy will. Lord, I'll be what you want me to be. I'll go where you want me to go. Lord, these hands, they're your hands. This mind, it's your mind. These eyes... They're your eyes. Lord, I surrender all to you. You know the story of the little boy. The offering plate was being passed. This little boy so wanted to give an offering, but he had nothing. As the offering plate was passed, he's thinking, what can I give him? And then the thought occurred, I can give him myself. The little boy took that offering plate and put it upon the ground and he stepped into that offering plate and he said, Lord, I'm yours. I give myself to you. That's the way of the cross. You see, that way of the cross speaks of our service to the Lord. He came to serve. He's the King of kings, the Lord of lords, but he bowed the knee to you and I in the sense that he served us. Years ago, it so influenced my life. I'd just become the principal of a Christian school. And uh, we took our students in that school, this was in Oklahoma, we took our students to a student convention. And at that student convention, there was the, uh, the director, and, and Brother Michael it was uh, the man that uh, was your director, Brother Marvin Reynolds. And uh, you were in that school, and I got his name from your transcripts. Uh, but he was the coordinator back years ago when I was the principal of the school. And we were at this student convention, and uh, here is this man. He had come to our school, and I had put this man in a position of reverence, and he was a neat Christian man, loved the Lord, and uh, walked with God. And so we're at the student convention, and uh, I'm trying to do everything I can to help, and uh, we came to a time, and we were cleaning up the lunchroom, and I look around me, and there is Brother Reynolds, and he's taking out the trash, he's cleaning up the floor, and I'm thinking, here's this man in this position of leadership, and he is a servant, and he's just here serving people. That's the way of the cross. And what a blessing 
that way of the cross is. You know, Valley Bible Baptist, I, I see this all the time. Um, here the other night, last Sunday night, we had that special fellowship. And I had several things that came up and I had a granddaughter that had a birthday. And so we had just a window of opportunity. And, and after speaking with some people here, we had to go and make the way. And we called, uh, called our granddaughter and had the wonderful time there just fellowshipping over the phone. And after we finished, I came back. And when I came back, the, the time was over. But I watched the people serving. It was such a joy just to see serving service taking place uh, here this afternoon. Uh, the service of cleaning up and just being a part, serving. So that's what it's all about. It's dying to me, living for others, living for Jesus Christ, putting Him first. That's the way of the cross. Now, as you look at this blessing, as, as the Lord's describing this, there's a blessing here of discipleship. Look in verse number 35, Mark chapter 8. Uh, this blessing of discipleship, here's an ironic principle. And it teaches when we die, we actually live. He said, verse 35, For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels the same shall save it. One of these ironic principles of the Bible. Uh, see, we live selfishly for self, we lose our life. Uh, we're unwilling to serve God's will or to do God's will, we lose that. In doing so, we're miserable. But when we die to self, we live. We find the joy of the Lord. And what a privilege it is to be saved. What a privilege it is to belong to the Lord. And that's the joy of serving Jesus Christ. Uh, in the Bible, so well illustrated. Remember Jonah? God said, Jonah, go to Tarsus. And Jonah said, no, I'm going the other way. And Jonah turned and, and, and went from the Lord. He fled from the Lord. God said, go to Nineveh. He went to Tarsus, went backwards, went the other direction. And Jonah found himself in the belly of a whale. Miserable. You read Jonah chapter 2, and you'll read that, that prayer of Jonah from the whale's belly and the misery that Jonah's facing. I've known Christian after Christian living miserably because they were living for self and unhappy all the time. But oh, what a joy when a Christian surrenders to the Lord and lives for Jesus Christ. When you die to self, you really live. In verse number 36 and 37, when we give, we gain. In verse 36, for what shall a man profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? And, and you think about this, if you had all the wealth of the world but you wound up in hell, wouldn't that be horrible? Because all of that wealth would end in just a moment of time. And how many people will be in hell because they rejected the Lord Jesus Christ and in rejecting the Lord, they pursued wealth, they pursued money, and all this world can never gain a soul. He says, or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? That which we keep for self, we lose. That which we give for the Lord, we gain. Go forward to Mark chapter 10 and verse number 28. In Mark chapter 10, verse number 28 we see here this illustrated in the life of the apostles. In verse 28, Then Peter began to say unto him, Lo, we have left all and followed thee. Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that hath left house or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels. 
But he shall receive an hundredfold, now in this time, houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecution. In the world to come, eternal life. See here, the Bible is teaching and the disciples illustrated this, that what we give, we gain. You think about the apostles, friends there, many of them, they, they gave their life, they gave everything for the cause of Jesus. We mentioned this morning that John was the only of the apostles that lived into old age. The others died martyrs' deaths. But the Lord rewarded them tremendously. They gave and gained. See, this is not a plan of salvation. Notice in verse number 38 of Mark chapter 8, verse 38. He said, Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation... Of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. See, when we identify with him, he identifies with us. It's not a plan of salvation. The free gift of salvation is to all who will receive Jesus Christ. This is the cost of discipleship. And many who haven't died to self, they haven't given of themselves... They haven't identified with themselves or with the Lord. They don't know the way of the cross. They don't understand the way of the cross. And they're missing the real joy of the Christian life. I think this is maybe one reason God's allowing things to happen in America as they are. Just a couple of questions here for you just in closing tonight. Are we trusting self or are we trusting Jesus? Are we trusting material wealth that can be taken from us in a moment of time? Or are we trusting Jesus? Are we trusting a job or are we trusting Jesus? How about this? Are we trusting our constitution? which I'm grateful for. Are we trusting our freedom and our liberty? Or are we trusting Jesus? You see, liberty was taken from Paul. But it's evident in Acts chapter 16 that Paul's trust was in Jesus. And though imprisoned and beaten, at the midnight hour, he sang praises to the Lord. See, Paul had died to self and lived for Jesus Christ. Are we presuming tonight that God owes us a life without persecution? Do we presume tonight that God owes us a life without heartache or without difficulty? Are we willing to trust and live for Christ no matter what? You see, we've been blessed. God's been good to us. He's blessed us as a nation in so many ways. But that's not where our trust is to be. See, we are to serve the Lord whether we have that material blessing from God or not. We're to serve the Lord even if freedom is taken from us. We are to serve the Lord regardless. I was reading just yesterday about North Korea. And how many thousands of Christians are banished to a labor camp 
never to be freed, and most of them dying in that labor camp. Others were killed for taking their stand for Jesus Christ. If you followed what's happening in Afghanistan, it's really atrocious. See, we as a nation failed the Christians of Afghanistan. We pulled out and we left the Taliban in control. And if you're reading the story, multitudes of Christians are being beheaded, girls are being raped, husbands are being slain. It's atrocious what is happening. And they are saying now that North Korea is the number one most persecuted nation in the world and Afghanistan is number two. The cost of being in a Christian in Afghanistan is very likely death. There are many Christians in Afghanistan that have made their way to the mountains. They're fleeing from the Taliban. They're fleeing for their lives. Here's my question. Has Jesus failed? No, not at all. We may not understand. We may not know what's taking place, but I do know this. I know that Jesus is the victor. And I know that in the end, He is going to be glorified. And I know that those that bring the persecution are going to be judged. You can mark that down. You can mark it that Jesus is righteous in everything that He allows. It is also amazing to know that in countries that are severely persecuted, the gospel is spreading like wildfire. Why? You ever throw, don't do it, but you ever throw water on a grease fire? Don't do it. Because you'll spread the fire. And that's what happens when Christians face persecution. It spreads the fire. God has not failed. Uh, and to be a disciple of Jesus, number one, we must understand who He is, our eyes upon Him. He's Lord, He's God, He's King. And number two, we must understand what He did. He went to the cross and shed His blood for us upon the cross of Calvary. And number three, to be His disciples, it would be the way of the cross. It's dying to me. And my plan to live for Jesus, to honor Him. Every head bowed.